Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. Numbers 11, 24 through 30, which can be found on page 116 in your pew Bibles or 225 in large print. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made and the ways that you work in our lives. Giving us what we need to do what it is that you have called us to do and to be the people that you have called us to be. We thank you for your word and for your spirit and we ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning that you would that you would continue the work that you have begun in us. Changing us to be the people that you have created us to be and empowering us to do the things that you have set before us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers Numbers 11, 24 through 30. As Moses has led the people out of Egypt and they are not yet in the promised land and so they are wandering around in the wilderness So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. New Testament lesson, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Paul, writing in the church in Corinth, says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
We looked a few weeks ago at Jesus being raised from the dead and walking and talking with his disciples after he was raised from the dead, something, you know, other people didn't generally do. And as he's walking and talking with his disciples during this period after he's raised from the dead, he's telling them everything that the Old Testament had to say about them so they could see how he was the fulfillment of everything that had come before and how all of it had been leading up to him. And now this is something new and different, and they were to go out into the world and be the witnesses of Jesus into the whole world. And he said, but wait, don't do it yet. He said, stay in Jerusalem. In fact, in verse 8 of chapter 1, when he's giving them the command that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, he actually starts it by saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, he has just given them something to do that they can't do. He has given them something to do that they can't do on their own. Don't go out and start trying to do this yet. Wait for the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit comes, then you will have the power to go out and do what it is that I have commanded you to do. Be my witnesses throughout the whole world. So they go to Jerusalem, and they wait for a while. And then something strange happens. This is chapter 2 of the book of Acts, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, They asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. So this is what happened. Now, next week we will look at Peter as he stands up and explains what this means. And of course he has to begin by saying, They're they're not drunk. That's not it. That was a good guess. I understand why you'd go there. That's not what's happening. And in fact, that is a reasonable guess, given what they are experiencing and what they know. Uh, There's a language experiment that happened several, couple decades ago, um, where they would give people piles of chips of various colors, and they would just tell them, you know, all these all mixed together, and they say sort them into piles based on color, and they'd have people do this all over the world in different, you know, people who spoke different native languages. And they found that people would sort the colored chips into different numbers of piles 
depending on whether or not they had words for those colors. In other words, if you have a word for red and a word for pink, you'll put the red ones in this pile and the pink ones in this pile. If you don't have a word for pink, all the reds and pinks go into one pile because you don't know what to do with them. (laughs) And they found this to be the case, that depending on how we use our language, it changes how we see the world because we start grouping things differently because we put put things into the categories we already have. That's helpful, especially as we look at something like this, as there's this event that has happened. There's this sound of this violent wind that comes and it fills the house. And there's the tongues of fire that come and rest on each person. And there are the disciples who start speaking in other languages. Now, if you don't have a category for what's happening here, besides people are acting weird, and I think, yeah, I've seen people act weird when they're drunk. That must be what this is. I mean, that's the only category you have to go to. That's what you're going to assume is happening. But that's not it. There are others who it says are amazed and perplexed. And they say, okay, it's not that. We don't know what it is. We don't know what's going on. But they should have known what was going on. Because it says that these are people uh, who were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So people who were Jewish by birth, who were Jewish by faith, even though they weren't living in and around Jerusalem, they still identified as Jewish people which means they should have been familiar with the whole Old Testament and how God had been revealing himself and the things that he'd been promising to do. If that were the case, when they saw and heard what they saw and heard, instead of being amazed and perplexed, saying, what is going on here? They should have already had the category to say, this is it. God has sent his Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. Because what did they see and hear? They saw, well, they heard the sound like the blowing of a violent wind coming from heaven and filling the whole house where they're sitting. In the Old Testament, we have God showing up in times of great wind quite a bit. Um, Pentecost, by the way, I need to back up just a second. Pentecost was a celebration of harvest. Uh, 50 days after Passover, and it also become incorporated as the uh, time when Jews would gather and celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So when Moses had come out of Egypt, just you know, the original Passover in Egypt, he brings the people out, and they go wander for a while, get to uh, cross the sea, get to Mount Sinai, and God gives the law. So people said, okay, we're gathering together for Pentecost. This is a great time to celebrate that God has given us this law. So that's what people are gathered in Jerusalem for. So if we go back to Exodus and we look at the crossing of the sea, the way that it's described, uh, not only in the moment, but especially in the song of Moses and Miriam after they go across, is that it is, by the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. And then later, you blew your breath and the sea covered them. In other words, these winds that we experienced, we know it wasn't just a wind that was happening, but this was God acting on our behalf. And when God was acting on our behalf, the way that we experienced that was through this mighty wind that came. 
We see that again uh, in, well, in lots of places. In Ezekiel, we have uh, this idea of wind and spirit and breath all tied again together, just as we do at the creation of Adam. But here we have it as a resurrection kind of theme. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel is given a vision of a valley of dry bones. Bones because it's people who are dead. Dry because it's been a long time. So they are dead, dead, and really dead. And so God says, Son of man, can these bones live? And of course, as the one who hears the question, probably tempted to go, no, they can't. But he wisely answers and says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Whether or not they can live again is not up to them and it's not up to me. That's up to you. If you want them to live again, they can. And if you don't, they won't. And then God tells him to prophesy to them. And he does. And their skin appears, flesh appears, tendons, all of it, but no breath. And then... He says, prophesy to the breath. Say, this is what the Spirit says, or this is what the Sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. So we go from dead, dead, and really dead to alive and living and ready for action. That's a big deal. This, not because of what they had to offer, but because it was the presence of God and his spirit among them. So when we see wind showing up at uh, at Pentecost, we ought to be already thinking this. But then especially for anybody who, uh, who knew of Jesus. Do you remember what he said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Maybe. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Tying together again this idea of wind and spirit, which in both Hebrew and Greek, the word in Hebrew that means spirit is the same word that means wind and breath. And in Greek, same thing. It's one word that means wind and spirit and breath. And so when we talked about the piles of chips and the language that you have and where to put those categories, just linguistically, they should have already had categories for when wind shows up, we ought to already be thinking, how is, this, how is the spirit of God, how is the presence of God connected to this event? And so we have the wind blowing a violent wind coming from heaven and filling the whole house. That's what drew the people. What do they see? That was what they heard. What do they see? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. You ever see fire? 
explain the presence of God throughout the Old Testament? Yeah. You think of a time where Moses might have encountered, encountered some fire? <laughs> a couple times. One that should jump to mind pretty clearly is the, uh, or pretty quickly, is the burning bush. We call it the burning bush, which is really weird because what drew him over to look is that it was a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And so it was the not burning bush, really. <laughs> and then Moses goes over to check it out. And it is through this event that God says, you know, take off your sandals, the place where you're standing is holy ground, because this was a symbol and representation of the presence of God in this particular place at this particular time. We see it again, Moses up on the mountain. Nobody can come and touch the mountain. The presence of God is going to come down upon the mountain, and when it does, it comes in smoke and fire. Moses has to go up to this fire and smoke, again, showing the presence of God uh, at that particular place in that particular time. And then, of course, we all know John 3.16. Do you know Luke 3.16? Probably not. Luke 3.16, John the Baptist, speaking about Jesus, says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This was already connected in the minds of the people who've been paying attention to who God is and what he's been doing from the very beginning. That when God sends his Holy Spirit, it will come with wind. When God sends his Holy Spirit, it will come with fire. I think there are a couple reasons why wind and fire. Because we have these illustrations of the things that stay and things that don't. The things that are permanent and the things that are temporary. The things that are solid and the things that are not. And we see in Isaiah 57, uh, God is talking about the idols that people will turn to and cling to. And he says, but I'm going to send a wind. They will blow away. Your idols will blow away. One of the images that's given all the time is winnowing, where they take the grain and they, uh, threshing the grain, and they throw it up in the air, and the wind will carry away the chaff, but the grain comes down again. That what is solid and what is good remains, and what is worthless blows away. And he says, you're going to turn to your idols, but I'm going to send a wind and your idols will blow away because they are worthless. That is not what lasts. And then you see uh, in Daniel, we had this idea of fire, right? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the, uh, the fiery furnace because, of course, they will be destroyed by this fire. But they're not. And this is not just a demonstration of God being with his people, which it is, but it's more than that. It's showing that God, with his people, these are the people who are going to last through the fire. It's a purifying fire, burning up all that is worthless and keeping what remains and keeping it pure and solid and firm. And so they go in, and they say, we see four people in there. Only three went in, we see four, and one of them looks like a son of the gods. So they call them out. And when the others, uh, when the guards even go close, though, they burn up. So it's not that the fire was some sort of a weird fire that, you know, doesn't really burn people. It does. But it was showing the distinction between those who served uh, and depended on and trusted in God and those who didn't. And those who trust in God stay, 
and those who don't are destroyed. And so we see this happening with fire and with wind. So now when we get to the uh, day of Pentecost, we see this wind that blows through. The disciples are still there. And we see the fire that comes down and rests on their heads. The disciples are still there. They don't burn up, like the bush that didn't burn up, like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that, don't, that didn't burn up. Because these are the ones who are trusting in God, who know the message of Jesus, and it is because of his Holy Spirit that they are sustained through everything. And so we see these symbols of the presence of God with his people, and yet um, we now have God with his people, and they don't die. But instead, they stay. The third sign that he gives is all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Start speaking in other tongues. Footnote should probably say other languages. Even people who really hold uh, to the speaking in sort of spiritual tongues sort of thing say about this passage, this particular one, of course, it's talking about other languages. So let's not get too confused there. And we see this happening because they are speaking in these other languages and everybody around from all these different places who speak all these different languages say, how? How are we understanding them in our language? By the way, this says they're doing this as the Spirit enabled them. This is not uh, something where they've been studying for years and this was finally the first time they, they showed it off. Hey, I can, I can do this. No. As the Spirit enabled them, they start speaking. Let's go back to Moses again. Moses chapter 3, as he's talking to God, this occasion of the burning bush, or the not burning bush. Moses says, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Which always makes me laugh that he so eloquently describes how not eloquent he is. But anyway. And then the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. This is uh, again another sign of the Spirit that God had said even back to Moses then. We see it again of course as we look to Jesus not only because he said that the Holy Spirit will come on you in power and you will be my witnesses but if you go to John 14 Jesus talks to him, talks to his disciples about the Spirit And he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It is through the Holy Spirit that we see exactly what God said to Moses. Who gives people their mouths? I will be with you. I will teach you what to say. And it's through me that you'll be able to do what I've given you to do. Go to Pharaoh. And here we see Jesus saying, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to come and is going to teach you everything to say. And then you will be my witnesses. And then here we see they start speaking in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So anybody who'd been paying attention to the things all the way back to Moses and the prophets and then with Jesus 
should at this point, when these events happen, say, this is it. This is the Holy Spirit. And instead, they are amazed and perplexed because they don't know what to do with this. But listen, listen to their question, though. They said that we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Hear that. We will get next week to what it is, the message that, uh, that Peter proclaims to them. But even now, when they first start gathering and they say, you know, we hear these people who are saying these things, what is it they're saying? They're declaring the wonders of God. And they're saying the wonders of God and declaring who he is and what he's done in languages that other people can understand. We talked before how Jesus gave the uh, disciples this job to do that's too big for them. They can't do this. They can't go into all the world and be his witnesses. And we see now one of the reasons why they couldn't. They don't speak all these different languages. How in the world are they going to go and tell all these people about who Jesus is if they don't even speak the same language? God says, don't worry about that. I got that part covered. All you need to do is trust me. I will give you my Holy Spirit, and you will be able to do the things that I have given you to do. For us today, we have um, a couple of points of application here. One is uh, let's make sure we are familiar. Familiar enough with the whole Bible, that as we experience things in this world, we have biblical categories to put them in. So we're not um, left like these people saying, I don't know, maybe they're drunk. Maybe that's what's going on. But that we're constantly looking back and saying, okay, well, what, how, has God, how has God shown and revealed himself in the past and the ways that he works and the things that he does? And how does this fit in line with that? Whatever it is we're experiencing today, how does this fit with that? That we wouldn't miss something just because we don't have biblical categories for it. In the same way that these Jews from all over the place should have known their Old Testament, Christians today should know the story of the whole Bible. How God has revealed himself, particularly in the person of Jesus. And how does that then um, work out today? Secondly, we keep going, jumping back to Moses and the things that uh, went on in that conversation at the not-burning bush. And what was mainly going on there is God saying, I have heard about the pain and the struggle and the hardship of my people, and I am a God who cares about that. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and do something really hard. I want you to go and do something that's bigger than you. I want you to go, and I want you to talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses responds somewhat correctly. I can't. I can't do that. He's not going to listen. He's not going to do it. It's not going to work, and I'm going to be the one who gets in trouble. That should sound familiar to us, because we've probably all lived that. Not that God has told us to go talk to an Egyptian pharaoh, but that for each of us, God has said, in one way or another, there are people around you who are hurting. There are people around you who are crying out in pain, and they have been praying to me, and I have heard their prayers. And I'm 
going to do something about it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you to do something about it. And we say, probably somebody else would be better for this, I think, and I'm not really good at that. And really, and we come up with a list of excuses a mile long. But what we are seeing over and over again is that God gives people jobs that are too big for them. And the excuses are valid excuses if we forget that God is involved. But if we remember that it is by his spirit that these things will happen, then we say, okay, you work through me, here we go. So for this morning, rather than making fun of what the events that are going on and saying, oh, they've had too much wine, rather than just being amazed and perplexed, let's look at what's going on around us. And see, this is what God is doing here and now. What is he calling me to do as a part of that? And then trusting in him and his strength and his spirit. Let us step out empowered by him to be the people that he's created us to be and to do the things that he's called us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.